0: Man, Thank you very much. It is a joy to have all of you with us and to worship our Lord together. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Just looking at two verses. I gave the harder portion to Pastor David to read, to read the entire chapter 11. But that really does set us up here for these two important verses as a reflection uh, for us this evening. And I know that some of you come this evening in a, maybe in a state of confusion, maybe not so much spiritual confusion, but just confusion about what the Lord is doing in your life, what he's doing in your home, what he's doing in your relationships, uh, whether that be family or coworkers or friends. Others of you are weighed down by burdens that you maybe even thought twice about coming tonight. Maybe marriages are on thin ice. Maybe children are living in rebellion. And there are conflicts and tensions in the, in the home or even discord and division within the church, maybe even possibly between families of sister churches that are like-minded theologically how can this be? I think many of us feel beaten, beaten up emotionally. Uh, our lives are messy. Our hopes are oftentimes shattered. And so we come to church with expectations of of growing and maturing, and yet oftentimes we feel broken and defeated. Now, maybe that doesn't explain your experience at all. Maybe you're like, boy, this guy's going through a lot. Well, I would say prepare for it because it will happen. The disappointment in the church um, is a fact of life. It happens in every church, in every community. And so part of my hope this evening is that we would be encouraged. I, I, I know I'm not the only one who needs that. And God's word in this passage is, is ready to provide that encouragement that we need. The context of, of Hebrews chapter 12, um, verses 1 through 13, really, the entire section there is about a call to endurance, a call to persevere. Um, you see it actually in several of the verses. In verse 1, you see that word endure. You see it again in verse 2. You see it in verse 3 and 7. So we won't read the, the entire section, but it's a call to persevere. And Did you notice in the, in the chapter on faith that Pastor David read earlier, how many of those examples of faith these great exemplars that we're to look to and, and, and model our own faith experience after, how many of them were going through great, significant trials, persecution, um, you know, isolation, feeling abandoned by brothers and sisters in the covenant community, many of these people who responded in great faith were responding in the midst of a great trial in their lives. And that's oftentimes where God shows up. And so before we read these verses, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can turn to your word, regardless of what circumstances we're in, that we can find something, a passage, a psalm, a book that speaks to our circumstances, that speaks to us where we are, Uh, feeling defeated, feeling isolated, feeling alone, feeling rejected, maybe even feeling joy and, and feeling great comfort, but all of them are represented in your word. And you know exactly what we need to hear. You know what kind of Uh, situations all of us are in, and by your spirit, I pray that you would do a work through your word in all of our hearts, that we would be strengthened and even equipped for the work of ministry that you've called us to. So, Lord, may you be glorified during this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Read with me Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit as he was, understood exactly what his readers needed to hear. Filled with fears and doubts and discouragements feeling overwhelmed by those things at times. And I I know it relates to each one of us as well, different seasons in our lives. They were just like us. And it would be easy to look at our circumstances and to be filled with pessimism, to think that we're in a hopeless situation. People can't change. Our circumstances will never improve. We feel trapped, maybe even by our own sin, the same cycle and patterns of sin just keep repeating themselves in our own lives. And that brings us even deeper into a sense of despair. And our thinking becomes darkened by this constant reflection upon things that oftentimes we have little power to change, that are outside of our control. This passage does serve as sort of a clarion call To the saints. And I've given you an an outline there, the header, uh, looking to Jesus. The theme of this passage, I would say, is that, that the perseverance of the saints is promised by Jesus Christ and secured by his death. The perseverance of the saints is promised by Jesus Christ and secured by his death. And so the very first point I want to make just from verse 1 here is that is this call to endure that comes from this passage. Therefore, since we have or since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance. We have a great cloud of witnesses to whom we can look for encouragement to persevere. And not only do they cheer us on as spectators, watching our race, having run their race before us, but they also embolden us when we see their testimony in God's word. When we read about what they went through, what they experienced, and how they responded with with spirit-empowered faith. They are witnesses to us of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. But our ultimate example, after all of those examples that have been listed in chapter 11, our ultimate example is the one that all of them pointed to, right? And it's, it's referenced here. It's, it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one whom we are to look but it kind of sets it up here with the call to, first of all, there's, there's really two parts to this call, to, to lay aside or to cast off weights and sin that would hinder us from growth, and then to run with endurance. So I want to break that down in just a, a few sections here. First of all, to consider the weights that hinder our spiritual growth. I, I don't think those are necessarily sinful in and of themselves, I, but our attachment to them results in a sinful imbalance. And so Matthew Henry calls them inordinate affections. They may be, they may be good affections, but they become inordinate affections. We've become too entrenched in, in this earthly life so that even good gifts from the Lord can become idols, whether it be career, ministry, family, friends. Good gifts from the Lord become ultimate and they've become idols to us. And so they're a weight, they're a hindrance. That doesn't mean we get rid of our families, we get rid of our friends. Please don't hear me saying that. But it does mean that we may be looking to the wrong God. Right? We may be looking in the wrong place for our justification, for our sanctification. We may have our hope in the wrong things so we do have a great cloud of witnesses to be an encouragement to us to look at their example as they look to god who gave them promises of the one to come and so of course the author has in mind also all kinds of sinful deeds words thoughts uh, that cling so closely to us these are sins that we keep on fighting over and over again uh sins that crop up, and, and they're not the same for everyone, right? but they seem to be consistent patterns in our lives that we can't seem to overcome. Uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 78, talks about the imperfections of sanctification. Sanctification. The imperfections of sanctification, right? The God is working in us, he's sanctifying us, he's, he's justified us, and now he's saving us, and yet there's still some imperfections there. We, we continue to wrestle with this flesh. Our justification has not eradicated total depravity. In fact, every part of us is still tainted by sin. We're still overcoming that in Christ. And so we do have to remain militant in our fight against sin, and I think it also applies to even the, the draining, the emotionally draining temptations that we face, which in and of themselves are also not sin, it's, but it's, it's draining to constantly be facing temptation in this life. It requires constant vigilance. And so what are the weights that hinder your spiritual growth? What are the, what are the things that maybe are good things that God has brought into your life, but you've made ultimate? that you've placed all of your hope in? What are the sins that cling so closely to you that, that cause you to stumble? That, and, and I know these are simple questions. All right, you, you might be able to answer them on your own very quickly, but the challenge here is to take these questions and talk about them with others. To confess your sins to one another. To talk about your struggles, to have that person that you can speak to, whether it be a pastor, or an elder in your church, whether it be a family member, but to have people that you can go to to talk about these things that are that are dragging you down, that are pulling you down. To identifying and mortifying those things in our lives that restrict our stride is a part of every Runner's strategy. Right? We we need to start there. You know, you don't you don't go into a race improperly dressed. You got to start by. In fact, the language here is of a of a of a soldier, like stripping off of it, his armor, right? being able to 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 strip off these things that are weighing us down, so that we can move freely, that we can continue to grow and mature the way Christ desires. And that gives us now the preparation to run with endurance. So the race has already been marked for you, and you alone can run your race. No one can run it for you. There's no refunds here. This isn't a relay race that you can just pass the baton. I'm going to take a break. And we often compare this life to a marathon rather than a sprint, but I'd say it's actually much more like an ultra Marathon, where there's times of, of, there's stations of restoration along the way that you have to take advantage of. If you ignore those, if you just keep plowing right on through, as some runners do, it's not long before they become dehydrated right, and, and drop out of the race. Endurance running differs in, in a lot of ways, to dis, uh, you know, distance running and short, short distance running sprinting. Um, Practice is filled with things like learning proper pace. It's not about just learning how to run faster, but learning how to pace yourself within your limits, how to remain properly hydrated, how to conserve enough energy to finish. And in fact, all of this can only be done as you're actually out there running. You have to run to keep running. CrossFit champion, Greg Amundsen. I'm not a CrossFitter, or you would know by now if I were. Um, but Greg Amundsen, he attempted to run 100 miles in 24 hours using only the typical workout of the day that CrossFitters do, um, which doesn't involve much running. So in fact, for a month, he trained just using their regular workout, and it involved running two miles, a total of two miles prior to this challenge that he took on to run 100 miles. Now, I would have thought he would have done much worse, but he, does, he did make it 80 miles within 24 hours, which is remarkable. He, was, he had to have been in remarkable shape to make it that far, but that's nowhere near competitive for ultra-marathon runners. Right? He would have been blown out by the field. In fact, he would have gotten a DNF, a did-not-finish, did um, because he didn't run. There's no substitute for getting in a lot of running for someone who is an ultramarathoner. But this answer in our text is actually much more simple, right? Our only strategy, our single task is to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus over and over again, constantly. Have him before you. If you want to endure, you must constantly look to Jesus. He enabled you to begin the race and he will continue to supply the strength you need to endure. And he's the one we run to, right? He's the one who, who restores us, who gives us the rest that we need. Jesus taught in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now the yoke was meant for people working. And he says, come to me and, and find rest and take my yoke upon you. Begin taking up his purposes. And you'll find that in doing so, his burden is light, his yoke is easy and you'll find rest for your souls. So how do you ensure that you have the energy to continue on? Do you avail yourself to the ordinary means of grace? As often as you can. I, I know we're like-minded churches, and this, these, are, these are words that we've probably heard a lot. And yet, we c- it's so easy to start looking outside of them, isn't it? It's so easy to think, well... You know, I've, it, my my Bible reading's been a little dry. My heart's a little cold right now, so I'll pick it up tomorrow. Right? Instead of taking and doing the hard work of of repenting of our cold hearts and continuing to persevere, continuing to endure, to con- continue to come to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Are you looking to him? Are you resting in him? So the call to endure is followed by this promise. And it's a very brief portion there in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The founder and perfecter of our faith. All right, we can find inspiration from the Old Testament saints. We can be encouraged by their example. And for them, as Hebrews 11 said, they never actually saw the fulfillment of the promises that they'd received. They trusted in those promises and they looked forward to their fulfillment beyond their lives. Their examples are powerful. However, none of them could promise us victory. For that, we have to look to Jesus. The promise to endure comes from the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the one who begins and completes all true acts of faith. And so similar to what we see Paul saying in Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began that work is the one who will bring it to completion. And so we can admit that our faith comes in waves, and it comes in degrees. It can can wax hot, and, and it can grow cold. But saving faith always gets the victory. It's never perfect in this life, but it always gets the victory. That's what we also read in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Chapter 14, section 3 says, This faith is different in degrees, weak or strong. Maybe often in many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory. Growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance. Through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. He becomes the confidence that our faith will get the victory. That when our faith is weak, We look to Christ, and we remember that the redemptive work has been finished. He cried out, it is finished. The perfection of our faith is achieved right alongside the saints of old. In fact, that also was in chapter 11, verses 39 through 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So they, had to, they waited for that fulfillment, the perfection of their faith in the coming of Christ, and we look back to the, that fulfillment, in the Christ who has come. Right? Only in Jesus were the promises fulfilled. So whereas they look forward to a future fulfillment, we look back to a past fulfillment of those same promises. And so again, the, it's a simple question that you're to reflect upon. Did you respond to the gospel with saving faith? Not perfect faith, but with saving faith. And are you continuing to live by faith? Again, easy to answer on your own, but share that with others. Reflect upon that experience in your life. And I think that's important for us. Knowing that Jesus pioneered the initial act of faith in your heart is critical to your perseverance. And continuing to remind yourself of that is one of the ways, the Holy, you know, reminding yourself how the Holy Spirit opened your eyes and gave you ears to hear the truth. That's one of the ways that he causes you to endure. And telling others of that work is an important part of that as well. But don't stop there. Right, consider how you continue to trust in Christ. Oftentimes when we think about our testimony, we think about some past experience a long time ago where God opened our eyes to see the truth of the gospel. We've repented and we believed, and we think that's, that's, that's something that was back there. And yet we continue. Our testimony is a past, present, and future reality. Right? The, the one who justified us is sanctifying us, and he will glorify us. Those are to be on our lips in conversation often. We should relish to speak about them So the call to endure is followed by the promise to endure, and then he closes out with the reward for enduring. The call to endure, the promise to endure, and the reward for enduring. Second half of verse 2 there. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the reward for enduring is considered, is, is, is really um, found in considering the example of Jesus Christ and his own, his own endurance. Which here in this text is a reference to his endurance of the cross. And the text that balances what really are seemingly opposite realities or opposed realities. On the one hand, the cross was a humiliating experience for Christ. There's a humiliating way to die. He was humbled in his death. He was betrayed by Judas. He was scorned and rejected by the world. He was forsaken by his own disciples. Abandoned, isolated. Tormented by his persecutors. Conflicted with the terrors of death. You even see that beginning in Gethsemane as he prays. The larger catechism says the powers of darkness were upon him that he felt and he bore the weight of God's wrath. And he laid down his life an offering for sin, enduring the painful, shameful, and cursed death of the cross. That is his humiliation. That's what Christ endured. So the cross was a shameful and cruel form of execution. In fact, the, the Ro- Rome outlawed its use for their own citizens because of how cruel it was. And the Jews interpreted death upon the cross to be a sign of that one was cursed by God. So Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and yet it was for the joy that was set before him that he was able to endure, that he was willing to endure, and that's an important way of looking at it, that he was willing to endure such humiliation. What Jesus endured, it's, it's all the more remarkable when we consider the fact that he had the power to reject the cross. He had the power to reject it. And yet, as he said in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And so the reward of Christ's endurance is this unhindered joy that he now experiences in his exaltation, seated at the right hand of the Father. And in fact, his joy is not fully satisfied until he completes the work of bringing many sons to glory, as we saw, or as you would read earlier in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. And so the, the first reward for enduring is a Christ like, a Christ wrought joy. It's a persevering joy. The same joy that caused Jesus to persevere has been granted to us. Again, Jesus taught in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Several chapters later as he's praying his high priestly prayer, the son would say to the father, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. We talk about joy, sometimes a little flippantly, but it's the joy of Christ that we're offered. It's the kind of joy that gives us the ability to endure any kind of circumstances. Do you have joy? Does your joy overpower any sense of shame? Is your joy rooted in your circumstances or in the person and work of Jesus? So the call to endure reminds us to lay aside whatever hinders our spiritual growth. And the promise to endure gives us hope that despite the many impurities and weaknesses in our faith, that Christ has promised to bring it to perfection. And the reward for enduring is a deep and abiding joy that is rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Notice where he goes from here in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. The imagery here of growing weary and faint hearted was a a familiar one to the original audience. Um, Raymond Brown notes in his commentary on this passage. our author uses two vivid words when he writes about the danger of growing weary and faint-hearted. William Barclay points out that Aristotle uses these words of an athlete who flings himself on the ground in panting relaxation and collapse after he has surged past the winning post of the race. So the writer to the Hebrews is in effect saying, don't give up too soon. Don't relax before the tape. Don't collapse until the winning post is passed. Stay on your feet until you get to the end. So let us pray that that is all of our testimony. That is all of our testimony for all eternity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these reminders from